0: Hi, welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm Edward Russell, your host, and I'm joined by my colleague, Madhu Unikrishnam. This week, we talk about the leadership change at American Airlines, Southwest Airlines' cautious outlook, and Azul's bullishness. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Madhu, how are you doing today?
1: Good. How are you, Ned? I'm good.
0: It's uh, it's another week, and a busy week it is. We've... uh, had uh, big news from American on change of leadership. we've had investor days at Azul and Southwest and uh, you know December is setting up to be a, an exciting month in the air in, in,
1: <laughs> in the airline world. when is it not an exciting month in this crazy industry that we all love now Ned <clears throat> there's been you're right there is big news out of American just this week and something that we all expected to happen but possibly not happen quite so soon.
0: Oh, well, I mean, there would be some that would say the transition that American actually was was is overdue and should yeah, have happened sooner. That's true. Um, I spoke to to Doug Parker earlier this week, and he himself said it probably would have occurred in 2020 if it was not for COVID-19. Huh. So, you know, it's uh, it's a long time coming is what we're saying.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. So Parker hands the reins to Robert Isom. And his,
0: his deputy who's been president under him since 2016 when Scott Kirby left for United Airlines. So this is, you know, the expected transition that we all, you know, you know we're, we're looking for.
1: Yeah. And well, let's take a minute. I mean, in your story, you said that uh, American had gotten American under Parker had gotten some come under some criticism, right?
0: Absolutely, there. Um, you know, travelers have been, not been happy with some of the decisions. Uh, namely, they added seats to their 737s and A321s, and they've also stood very firmly behind the decision to remove uh, personal and flight entertainment from narrow-body jets. Uh, now, you know, those those in, in a dollar and cents manner, those changes make uh, you know perfect sense. It's cheaper to fly a plane without uh, personal entertainment screens. And the more seats you can fit on an existing airplane means more potential revenue. But it's it's come at uh, some, you know, passenger, uh, passenger quality scores, especially as we've seen United improve their quality. And then, of course, Delta has been a leader in sort of uh, quality among the major carriers for quite some time.
1: Right. But it's also worth taking a minute to, to think about um, Doug Parker's remarkable career. Now,
0: absolutely, and I don't want to downplay that. You know, you brought up criticisms, but Doug Parker has been at the helm of a major US carrier since September 1st, 2001. Right. So that is quite a run, book ended by 9 11 and COVID 19 he has seen the industry through a lot
1: on a personal note i mean he has been uh, at the helm of a, a u.s carrier first america west since since i started in air, airline and aviation journalism so he's been a presence in my life for almost my entire career um so what are you going to do with you when,
0: when you're not going
1: to have <laughs> doug parker on well? <laughs> yeah well to paraphrase nixon i won't have uh, parker to kick around anymore um It it's just, it is a remarkable career. I mean, when you think he started, he was CEO along, you know, with his um, Lieutenant um, Scott Kirby for an America West and kind of was the first to see consolidation as the next wave forward for U.S. carriers, especially coming out of 9-11. So, you know, America West swallowed up a much larger airline, U.S. Airways. It's hard for us to remember now, but U.S. Airways was quite a force back in the day. And... Um, U.S. Airways, you know, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, U.S. Airways made a play for Delta. At they one did. point, they um, did. Was completely rejected, and then went on to swallow American, and and that was a uh, was a bruising battle for Parker and Kirby, uh, as you remember, Ned, because I think that's about the time you started in airline journalism.
0: It was uh, one of my first events. Was the the merger announcement on Valentine's Day, twenty thirteen? I, right. I dug up my photos from from that. But you know, I want to go back a bit to what you said about you know, Parker and consolidation. Like we really have to give Parker the credit for the current U.S. airline structure that we have today. Absolutely. You know, if it wasn't for the America West U.S. Airways merger, I think I, I I don't know where the industry would have gone because that really laid the groundwork for the consolidation that was to come, and that was. Delta Northwest, United Continental, uh, Southwest, Airtran, and then ultimately US Airways and American, um, and Alaska
1: Virgin. I mean, it continued. Alaska Virgin. <laughs> I was
0: just going to say you're going to you're going to get me there, Mister Virgin. Uh, if if you didn't know, Madhu was a Virgin flak for for a short period. So, um, but really, like every history read, like once America West and US Airways, America West showed that a merger and becoming a larger player could actually be very beneficial for the balance sheet. You know, it really set off the merger wave that gave us the industry we we know today.
1: Yeah, and and I I mean, it's also easy to forget how preposterous it seemed at the time in two thousand one, um, or not two thousand one it's slight later in two thousand two, two thousand three. Well, what there was a lot of like talk of this, right? And then in two thousand five, yes. the America West U.S. Airways merger happened. It just seemed preposterous that America West would would buy such a large carrier. I mean, a U.S. Airways at the time had several international routes, had a presence in Europe. America West did not, and <laughs> it just seemed ridiculous. And then it happened. And then U.S. Airways going after Delta seemed preposterous, but ultimately U.S. Airways went after an even larger prize and um, and succeeded. So it's it really you know Parker really reshaped the um, the American uh, aviation landscape, as you mentioned. And um, it's also interesting to note that he is one of um, he's one of the he came out of that class under uh, Bob Crandall's pressure cooker. He worked for Bob Crandall, as did Ben Baldanza and David Cush. And I know I'm gonna forget some, so if you if you can remember anyone else who worked who trained up through um through Bob Crandall's shop, give me a shout at mu at skift.com. You were gonna say something, Ned?
0: No, I I was just laughing. Someone made a good comment about the old uh, you know, the the sort of the mess hall at amr back in the day because you know kirby was there parker was there um kirby was there right i believe so okay don't yeah. talk me on that yeah, but, but many of today's airline leaders were, were were there and uh but you just yes made the point so many people came up through that but it's been and not quite just a there but
1: worked worked for robert crandall which is i think an right. important point to make
0: exactly exactly the sort of the the grandfather of, of modern major airlines so to speak but uh you might not want to think that. But, you know, it's interesting. So we've got so, of course, Parker has this legacy. You know, he's he's coming in now is his longtime deputy, Robert Isom. You know, I got the chance to speak to him as well this week. He says no. You know, his his plan is, is to keep with the strategy American has outlined. He cited, you know, its, it's network changes, which has focused a lot on its core hubs and then alliances with JetBlue in the Northeast and Alaska on the West Coast. As well as moving forward with its fleet plan, which, uh, the aforementioned densification on the narrow bodies, but they also streamlined a lot during the crisis, got rid of 767s, 757s, A330s, and E190s. Can't forget those. So, you know, he doesn't seem to think, he, at least he's not presenting publicly that there's going to be much change. And then, uh, Helene Becker, at Cowan & Co. wrote in a note as well that You know, she similarly expects the investment thesis to stay much the same for Americans. So, you know, it's not going to be like a transition from uh, Oscar Munoz to Scott Kirby at United. Uh, The expectations, it's going to be much more like Brad Tilden to Ben Minacucci at Alaska, uh, stay the course at American, whether you like it or not. I mean, there's people, like I said, there's criticism of Americans' management over in recent years, but um, they're going to stay the course, it seems, For now. For now. And we're back. Madhu, you got a chance to listen to Southwest Airlines Investor Day on Wednesday. Can you tell us a bit about how that was?
1: Well, the operational word is depth. Schedule depth. And I hate that that's the operational word because it's one that I find impossible to pronounce. Um, but uh, Southwest is, um, you know, as we know, during the pandemic, expanded rapidly. At least it added 18 new cities, it added 70 new routes from its existing cities, it redeployed 125 aircraft to support all of this growth at the expense of schedule depth. I mean, as you know, Southwest before the pandemic was known for having multiple flights between cities between city pairs, which allowed it a lot of operational flexibility. In the case fire ops. So if there's a storm and you know a flight got canceled in Denver, it'd just be another hour or two till the next flight. Well obviously demand fell during the pandemic and Southwest wiped out a lot of its scheduled depth. As but,
0: did many other airlines as, as did many airlines, airlines, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. But many most other airlines, you know, Southwest has a very unique network, right? It's all point to point. So other airlines, if if there's a if there's a storm at a hub, or an aircraft goes out of service. They can, it's at a hub, they can move another aircraft into place, et cetera, et cetera. Southwest does not have that flexibility because its aircraft are all over the place. So, um, right. so you know, this this resulted in a couple really high profile meltdowns. The most re- recent being in October when Southwest canceled thousands of flights because of storms in Florida. Did I get that right? It was Florida. Yes, Florida. Yeah. It was Florida. Storms in Florida, where you know each forty. 40- set of Southwest aircraft traveled through Florida on any given day. So that, that just shows you like a storm there and can really ripple through the system. Anyway, I digress. So, so Southwest is going to focus next year on um, adding back some of that depth to its schedule as demand is returned. You know, they, I guess, let me back up as demand started to return this year, Southwest found itself scheduling its flights, but not having the people to support those flights. So it was kind of a, a big operational mess is, um, as um, Mike Vandevan said um, on today's investor call that uh, Southwest used the old playbook for how to recover from an IROP, and that didn't work in this pandemic era with today's staffing levels. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how they add. Uh, add that back because Ned, as you and I were talking, they have, they're planning to add 13,000 employees between now and the end of next year. And it's a tight,
0: 13,000.
1: Yes. That's crazy. Did you, did they talk about the split between,
0: are those all frontline pilots, flight attendants, you know, airport, like did they talk about how that breaks down or.
1: They didn't go into specifics, but sort of obliquely said that where they're, you know, where they need to focus is on ground staff. Okay. So both at the air, in the airport and on the um, on the ground and the ramp. So okay. um they'll be focusing on that even though it's a very tight labor market and um but 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 let me let me say but um uh, they're not planning Southwest isn't planning to add capacity and it's not planning to get ahead of itself in terms of staffing and capacity so it's going to add capacity as staffing allows. So they're being okay. very cautious. I think they're they're burned by their their meltdown in October. Sounds like it. Now, now, what is adding thirteen
0: thousand uh, new staff members mean for costs at Southwest? You know that has been a concern uh, amongst the the Wall Street, growing concern amongst Wall Street analysts, is rising uh, unit costs at a lot of the a lot of the airlines.
1: Yeah, their X is going to go up eight percent, which is a pretty big jump. That's
0: that's, that's big.
1: Yeah. So a lot of that is staffing, increased wages. Um, they're compete, you know, they're having to raise their the amount they pay entry level staff, as as um, Bob Jordan told us the Skift Aviation Forum, or I'm sorry, Skift Global Forum in September. So there there's that um, fuel remains. I know this is Chasm X, but fuel remains very volatile, and you know that's 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 adding to their cost. So it, it's they're adding a ton of new aircraft. So it, it's 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 going to be. Uh, It's going to be an interesting year, and you know, as Tammy Romo, the CFO, said, it's it's still 2022 will still be a year of transition, and she actually said, you know, when we can safely say we're in the post-pandemic era remains really unclear, which is was kind of a surprising note to strike, given that everyone else says seems to be saying, oh, 2022 is when everything goes back to normal. I think there's what did they say about business? What did they say about business travel? Um, Oh, yeah. So business travel is managed travels down 50% from 2019. Um, But, you know, the effect of Omicron has not shown up in the leisure bookings, at least in the fourth quarter or in the first quarter of next year. But business demand, it could show up in business demand, which tends to be closer in. Now, Southwest has made an aggressive push starting before the pandemic, but accelerating during during the last 20 months to get on GDS platforms to you know, expand its presence in the managed travel space and actually has doubled in the amount of managed travel contracts. It has. Um, wow. so, so, you know, they're, they're really focusing on business and they're adding a new fare class.
0: Oh, that's exciting. Did they give any details on that?
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> they said for competitive reasons, they're not going to give any details, but it will launch in the middle of next year. And it is expected to be one notch above the want to get away base fare. So, so it's going
0: to be in between want to get away and anytime.
1: And anytime. Right? Yeah. So it goes business select, right? I think. A business, business selects select, top, uh, then anytime, time.
0: then want to be away currently. So it's going to be between want to get away and, and anytime, yeah. right? So okay. they didn't go into
1: details, but they said it will add some benefits to want to get away without subtracting benefits from that lowest fare class, if you know what I mean. So, it's, so they're not taking anything away from their base fare. They're going to add some benefits to want, to the new fare class. And presumably, anytime will be even have even more benefits. So it was all very unclear, but but there's so, very very opaque, very <laughs> opaque. But uh, but uh, Andrew Watterson said this will allow them to segment their fair their market even better, and you know, uh, make sort of a divide between the the two business fairs, if you were the business selected any time, and the two and now have two leisure focused fairs.
0: It's memories of 2016 come back when you talk about segmentation.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right? I mean, that was all we talked about in 2016.
0: (laughs) Do you remember the airplane presentations in 2016 70 from American and Delta? It's a plane and shows all their segmented fares going down the cabin. I I remember those presentations well.
1: Well, do you remember Song and Ted? Actually, why not segment out into a new airline altogether? Why not? Well that
0: hasn't worked in the US. It's worked elsewhere, but yeah, not here in the US. No, it did not
1: work here. Well that's
0: very interesting about Southwest. I look forward to you know, we'll it. Does
1: anyone like, know why it was Song?
0: I'm sure it was uh it was um market tested and everything. So
1: Yeah just like Ted. What did they test that <clears> root <throat> name on? Anyway, we digress a little bit. <laughs> Madhu digresses. Yes.
0: Well it'll be very interesting that we'll be we'll be paying attention here whether Southwest, you know, how Southwest uh does implementing the the plans they've outlined this week uh next year. You know, moving on to another investor day in Brazil, Azul uh presented their outlook for twenty twenty two, which um was I'd say much more bullish than Southwest was mm-hmm. you know, one of the, the quote that stood out to me was Abhi Shah, their chief revenue officer. He was asked about uh, corporate travel recovery in Brazil specifically. So this is a domestic market. And he was like, will you back to 100 percent? will be above one hundred percent.
1: Interesting. So
0: they are extremely bullish on on the recovery there and you know, really focused on presenting the Azul growth thesis going into the new year to to investors.
1: Well let's stop there for a second. If you remember goal recently also said something similar and that's the business travel market in Brazil is really strong because commodity prices are strong right now. So that that makes sense. It tracks. <laughs>
0: definitely and azul made a point that since they are the only airline flying to i want to say half more than half of their destinations because azul focuses on regional points more so than gol or latam do you know they they stand to benefit a lot from from commodity prices from logging from things because they're the only game in town to get to a lot of these destinations so, you know, that's, that's a big, you know, growth market for them. And also remember, Brazil is a growing market, whereas a place like the US or Australia are, uh, you know, Mature markets. Right. So you know they're they're betting strongly that. But it's it's funny hearing the split because you you talked to you know I talked to Adrian Newhauser at Avianca a few months ago and he's seeing a fifty percent drop in, in business travel. Of course, the airline is much more exposed to international than Azul is. But still, you would think Colombia alone has a large business travel market. But it's it's very different uh, different outlooks for sure. But Azul is is bullish on the future. Of course, one question that came up was, you know, the LATAM uh, acquisition proposal that they had put forward. And CEO John Rogerson said, you know, they still believe in their proposal. They think it's better than what uh, LATAM filed in their U.S. Chapter 11 reorganization plan. But, you know, given the court process, they've had to step back and they will let the court move forward. But, um, he, he seemed, he, he's commented about creditors was like, he expects them at some point in the next few months to go, "Holy shit, what did we do?" And that's a direct <laughs> quote um, uh, with the LATAM plan. So you know, they're not the 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 mood there was not that Azul is completely out. They think creditors might come to them uh, sometime in the near future, hmm. but you know, that's a TBD.
1: Interesting. And then you also covered Aeromexico this week, right, Ned?
0: Oh, that's right. So Aeromexico had the first hearing on their reorganization plan on Monday, and at the they they went into the weekend with a lot of creditors, unsecured creditors, objecting to the plan. Which is uh, diffi- you know, given uh, you know Chapter Eleven works its own ways, but in all the cases I've if you don't have unsecured creditors on your side, you have some challenges to mount. But
1: yeah, it was quite a spat over, over the. That- Sorry, it was quite a spat. I mean, as far as it was like quite court a spat, they were, go. you know,
0: the unsecured creditors were willing to cut Delta, um, you know, Aeromexico's big JV partner and equity partner completely out uh, in, in an alternative proposal. Anyway, Aeromexico and creditors managed to settle over the weekend going into Monday, they had settled their disagreements over the equity value of the airline, which uh, they said could Vary by as much as one billion dollars, but uh, the judge was happy with the settlement, and she set uh, January I want to say 18th for yeah January 18th for the confirmation hearing for Aeromexico's restructuring plan. So we could, if if all goes as you know as planned, and knock on wood, these things can change. Uh, we could see the second major Latin American uh, Chapter 11 plan uh, process coming to an end. Aeromexico exiting in the first quarter. Oh, oh! And given the plan, Delta will walk away with at least a twenty percent stake in Aeromexico, which is a significant drop. They hold forty-nine um, percent of the voting shares currently, so you know they're taking a big haircut. But they maintain they they remain Aeromexico's prime partner, so that's that's a win for them. I'm guessing.
1: So, no, more proof that 2022, not 2021, is the year of transition.
0: Absolutely, absolutely well madu thank you so much for for joining me today of course it's your job but it's always a pleasure to have you here if you need to reach madu you can reach him at mu at skift.com if you need to reach me i'm at er at skift.com and thank you again for joining us on the airline weekly lounge
1: thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the airline weekly lounge podcast Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.